please turn with me to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Several years ago, there was an eight-year-old boy named Danny Dutton who uh, turned in a writing assignment to his class, and the topic that he chose was an explanation of God. This is what he wrote. One of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that die so that there will be enough people to take care of things here on earth. He doesn't make grown-ups, just babies. I think because they're smaller and easier to make. That way, he doesn't have to take up his, time, his valuable time teaching them to walk and talk. He can just leave that to mothers and fathers. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. An awful lot of this goes on since some people pray at times besides bedtime. God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV on account of this. God sees everything and hears everything and is everywhere, which keeps him pretty busy. So you shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your parents' head, asking him for something they said you couldn't have. (laughs) Now, what I I love about his explanation of God is his understanding that God works. In fact, God delights in work. God works and then God rests. But God doesn't need to work or rest. You know, sometimes what's lost in our whole discussion about the age of the earth is that God didn't need six days or six billion years, whichever your perspective is on that. God only needed an instant. He could have just created. He didn't need to work over the course of a period of time for creation. And when he finished, God wasn't worn out. He didn't need to rest. God works and then God rests to provide a pattern for us because we need to work and then we need to rest. That's a rhythm that God has embedded within our human nature. We need to work and then we need to rest. It's been estimated that the average human body at full exertion can expend about 14 horsepower worth of energy for a brief period of time. It's also estimated that when we're at rest, we create about a tenth of a horsepower of energy. So what happens to that potential energy when we're not using it? Well, according to studies, that potential energy that goes unused begins to build up and it creates stress within our system. Mental, emotional, physical stress that can lead to mental and physical and emotional damage to our body if we don't expend the energy that God has placed within us. On the other hand, if we go and we go and we go at maximum capacity constantly, this engine which is our body also breaks down. So we need to work and then we need to rest. There's a rhythm that God has given us. We're going to talk about that rhythm this morning of work and rest. The the value that God has given and placed within work And then the sanctity of rest. So I want you to read with me, beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now move down with me to chapter 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Verse 15. 
Then the Lord God took the man whom he had put in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it and to work. God created Adam to work. God created all of the universe and then he finally reached the pinnacle of his creation. He made Adam and then he said, Adam, I need you to join me in something. I need you to join me in work. Work with me here, Adam. And I've noticed that sometimes around our house, this isn't always the case, but from time to time, uh, work kind of becomes a four-letter word around our house. You know, it's the one thing to, to avoid. And so I keep taking our kids back to Genesis 1. I say, notice, children, that God created Adam and he commissioned Adam to work before the fall. And so work is good. You know, I confess as a parenting technique, it, it doesn't work at all to motivate my kids to work. But nevertheless, you know, I'm a pastor and so I have to keep coming back to, you know, my strong suit. And so I motivate, I try to motivate and say, remember, Adam was made to work. He was designed to work. And so Adam would feel satisfaction, fulfillment, in fact, when he worked. So what do we mean by work? Well, remember, work includes anything that you do in service to God or others. Anything that you do to provide for yourself or to provide for others that you do in honor of God. And the fact that work is a reflection of the image of God. So you might get paid for a particular job or you might volunteer or you may do a task because it's just part of the role assigned to you. Parenting is work. Grandparenting is work. Sometimes you're paid, sometimes you're not paid. Sometimes it's in the home, sometimes it's outside of the home. Students, part of your job right now is school. Studying is work. Taking tests is work. Writing is work. Thinking is work. These are all things that are work. They're all included. And we were made to work because we were made in the image of God. And work allows us to give. Remember in the ancient Near Eastern stories about creation, a pantheon of gods made heavens and earth, and then they realized that they didn't have anyone to bring them food. So they'd made this great creation, and it was productive, but no one could harvest, no one could bring them the fruit of their own labors. And so as an afterthought, they made men and women as their slaves to bring them food. In other words, the gods created out of purely selfish motives, The creation narrative in Genesis is entirely different. God didn't need anything. He didn't create because he lacked something. He created so that he could give. He created so that he could share. He made men and women in his image and gave them this this wonderful place and bodies that could work and labor and be productive because God wanted to bless men and women. He wanted to bless mankind made in his image. In other words, God made in order to give and he's allowed us to work so that we can give and so that we can share. So we notice when we work hard, it's really been a, a, a challenging day sometimes, but a productive day. We work, we've worked hard, we've labored hard, labored hard, that there's a feeling of satisfaction. Like it says in Proverbs, the sleep of the working man is pleasant. On the other hand, when we can't work, it's frustrating. Or you've been unemployed or underemployed or you've gotten sick and haven't been able to work. It's frustrating. Or even, I've talked to folks who've worked their entire lives with the objective that they could retire and play full-time. And after that happens, they find themselves frustrated. The man who works his entire life so he can play golf seven days a week, and pretty soon he realizes golf is just not nearly as much fun. And his wife doesn't think it's as much fun either, because he's either golfing or he's at home doing nothing. And she says, go out and be useful. Do something useful with yourself. You were made to be useful Outside of the house. Go, right? Go, be useful, be productive. William Shakespeare said, if all the year were playing holidays, to sport would be as tedious as to work. So we were made to work. 
George Matheson was a blind poet and hymn writer, and he said, the cure for age is interest and enthusiasm and work. The people that I have appreciated and admired the most are those who work and work and work. And they may retire from their full-time occupation, but they continue to work. They may not be getting paid any longer, but they're continuing in service to God and to others. Because that's what we were designed to do. So I want to make three observations about work this morning. First is this. Through work, we provide. Work has value, and work is a reflection of the image of God, because through work, we provide. First, and most obvious, we provide for ourselves, right? Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, if anyone is not willing to work, neither should he eat. That's pretty straightforward, right? The apostle of grace. <laughs> That's how we usually think of him, but he says, hey, you've got some folks in your church in Thessalonica who just want to mooch. Don't do it. Okay? Don't give them anything that demotivates them to work because then you dehumanize them. Because we were designed... To work, okay, to provide first for ourselves. I think uh, Martin Luther struck a, a great balance here when he was um, blending the, 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 the concepts of God's grace and his power and what he accomplishes through our lives and then also our responsibility to, to get up and to work and to do something. He said this, If God did not bless, not one hair, not a solitary wisp of straw would grow, but there would be an end of everything. God's the beginning of all things. He's ultimately the source. At the same time, God wants me to take this stance. I would have nothing if I did not plow and sow. God does not want me to have success come without work, and yet I am not to achieve it by my work alone. He does not want me to sit at home to loaf, to commit matters to God, and to wait till a fried chicken flies into my mouth. <laughs> I love Luther. He's so graphic. Yeah, you know, God isn't saying just sit back and wait until the fried chicken flies in your mouth. Get out and find the chicken, kill the chicken, bring the chicken, and pay for the chicken. Work, work, okay? Because that's part of the cycle that God has designed. So for you college guys, a direct word to you, don't be that guy who graduates from college, moves home, and you're still there when you're 30. Right? And you've got a great setup because you've got a, you know, this, this audio-visual deal in your, your bedroom where you grew up. And you've got a great big TV and a surround sound system. And you've got your, your Xbox. And you're, you're just having a wonderful time. And then you know, periodically you say, why can't I not get a date? You know, I'm going to tell you why you cannot get a date. Because these girls want to know that you can work and that you can provide. And you can provide first for yourself so that someday they can trust that you will provide for them as well. We were designed to work, obviously first for ourselves, but also for others. Again, Paul writes, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those who are of his own household, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. Paul is not saying if you don't work, you're not a Christian. Paul is saying even the non-believing world understands that we have a responsibility to provide for those of our household. First, provide for them. Because we were designed in the image of God, we reflect the character of God, and God gives, right? God gives. God doesn't just take and take and take, okay? Through work, we also provide for the community around us. Ephesians 4, he who steals must steal no longer. Why? Because you're taking from someone who works, and you're not working. So don't steal any longer, he tells the folks in Ephesus. But rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Notice he says, you need to work 
And when you have an abundance, it's not so that you can consume all of the abundance. It's so that you will have abundance to share with anyone who has need in your community. And then finally, we provide for the kingdom of God. Paul went out and he took the gospel to places that no one else could take the gospel. Places the gospel hadn't gone. And he took a few folks with him. But then there were a lot of people who stayed behind, particularly in that church in Antioch and later in the church in Philippi, who caught Paul's vision that ultimately we don't live for ourselves. We live for the honor and the glory of God so that his kingdom can be extended to all nations. And even though they weren't the missionaries, they understood that vision. And so when they worked and God provided any abundance, they gave it away. They gave it away. They shared so that others could go out and share the gospel because that is God's program. Some would go and some would send. And through this, we provide for the advancement of the gospel. So first, we reflect the character of God in that we provide. Second, We create. We create. I I love the fact that the first person who was filled with the Spirit in the Bible wasn't somebody who was preaching or evangelizing or praying. It was a craftsman. Bezalel. 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 He was a craftsman. It says he was filled with the Spirit for all kinds of work with his hands. He could work with silver and gold and bronze and copper and wood. And he was filled with the Spirit. So that God's spirit would work through his hands physically as he labored and made things of beauty so that people could worship. He was a craftsman. Again, I take you back to Martin Luther. He says, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on all the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. When we do our trade well, we reflect the image and the glory of God, the character of God. God loves beauty. He loves craftsmanship. He loves excellence. He loves creativity. No one is more creative than God. So through our work, we can create. Third, through our work, we worship. Through our work, we worship. We often think of worship as what just happened, and that was our dose for the week. But work can also be an act of worship. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What is the name? Well, it's similar shorthand for the glory of God. It's the character of God. It's all that God is. So whatever you're doing, whether you're speaking and your job is speaking, or you're working and you're making, or you're thinking, whatever you do in word or deed, do all as an act of worship. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Do it all as an act of worship. Now, I assume that um, all of you have worked a job at some point in time. I'm also going to assume that you've experienced the fact that sometimes jobs don't work well, do they? Sometimes they can be frustrating and dissatisfying. I think that's because we often lose sight of Genesis 1 or Genesis 3. Genesis 2 is all about work. God is working, and then he's making Adam to work, and Adam is working. And we're in the midst of that work. Sometimes we forget Genesis 1 or Genesis 3. This is what I mean. We forget Genesis 1. We forget that we were made in the image of God. And what it means to be made in the image of God is that we work to give. 
God didn't work or create to get. What happens when we forget Genesis 1 is we begin to work for ourselves. Okay? And our work becomes selfish. It becomes about self-fulfillment. It becomes about getting power, getting prestige, getting honor, getting possessions. Work becomes about getting. Okay? And we become so wrapped up in it, we become selfish. We become idolatrous of work. And so we see people who are working 70, 80, 90 hours a week, not because they must, but because something is chasing them, compelling them, because they become idolatrous of work itself. Another Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. said, every man must decide whether he will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. Do you work for yourself or do you work for the good of others and the glory of God? If you forget Genesis 1, you'll begin working for yourself. Forget Genesis 3, then you become cynical about work, right? Because we're working post-fall. There are thorns and thistles. Remember, God didn't have any of those barriers. Nothing inhibited God's work. Adam, when he began to work in the garden, didn't have thorns and thistles. But we do. We have, we have frustration at times because it's a broken and a fallen world. I've talked to students on many occasions. They say, you know, when I graduate, all I want is just, I just want a great job. I want a job that I, I love. I want every morning, I want to love getting up. I want to be so excited that I, I get up and I go to my job. I'm like, this is awesome. I love the people I work with. You know, it's really not a, a job. It's more like we're a family, right? And we've got one another's back and we're not climbing over each other. We're exalting each other. We're, we're working for the other person's career all the time. And we're engaged in this cause that will change the world. And yeah, I mean, I, I get paid a lot. But I don't care about the money because it's not about the money, right? I'm, I'm, I'm getting paid a lot to do something that I love every day and there's never conflict. We just love each other. I'm just going to tell you, you will never, ever, ever find that job. Ever. That job does not exist in the current dispensation on earth. It just, it's not there. Every job has frustrations and satisfactions. Uh, dissatisfactions, right? And satisfactions, both. It's got both. It's a mixed bag. There will always be coworkers that frustrate you from time to time. You know, I don't have any, of course, but (laughs) other jobs, you know, where you just, man, you miss it. But if you forget Genesis 3, you have this expectation about work that it always works and works well. But it doesn't. The fact of the matter is sometimes in the jobs that are most frustrating, you have the greatest opportunity to reflect the character of God. When you go to work and everyone is griping and moaning and complaining about the job, the task, the boss behind his back, and you're not. Instead, you're laboring diligently with a joyful spirit because you are ultimately doing it as unto the Lord, not for men. That is a reflection of God in the midst of a frustrating job situation. And according to God's design, what keeps our perspective on Genesis 1 and 3 is the fact that we don't work all the time. When we stop working and we rest, we are reminded of the value of work, of who we are, of who God is. It puts work back in perspective so that it once again has meaning even when it's frustrating. When we work and then we stop. We work and then we rest. I want you to read with me Genesis chapter 2. In verse 1. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. 
Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and God had made. Why did God rest? Because he was worn out from creating? No, he rested to create an example, a pattern for us of first work, then rest. Everything that God did, everything that God does, he expects us to imitate because we were made in his image. So God worked and God rested. And on the seventh day, it was a day unlike any other day. All the other days were good, but the seventh day is designed by God to be the perfect day. It is the seventh day. The number seven is the number of perfection. The number seven is repeated three times in these verses. Seven, seven, seven. It's actually repeated another time that's hard to see in your English translation. But in verses 2 and 3, there are four lines. In the Hebrew text, there are four lines. In the first three lines, there are seven Hebrew words, seven Hebrew words, seven Hebrew words. Okay, So you've got seven, seven, seven. And then the middle word of each of those phrases of seven is the number seven. Seven, 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 seven. From a literary perspective, he's saying this is the perfect day. This is a day unlike any other day. And on a day that is so special, you would expect God to do something dramatic. But what does God do? Nothing. He doesn't do anything on the perfect day. He just stops. It is a Sabbath, which means literally to cease or to stop. As it says in Psalm chapter 46, verse 9, he makes wars to cease. That doesn't mean he makes wars take a nap. Right? So rest is not really even the best translation. It simply means stop. God stopped what he had been doing and he did something else. God calls us to stop what we are doing during the week to provide and to create, to give to others, and to do something else. Do something that refreshes and rejuvenates the spirit that brings perspective back on all of life. Stop your normal activities. It, it doesn't mean stop sinning. Right, You can do that any day. You don't need to wait for the Sabbath to do that. Stop right now. No, he means stop good things to do what's best on this day. And that is be refreshed in the Lord. Cease and do something new and fresh. So God doesn't do anything on this day, but he does make a declaration. He says, this day will be holy. This is going to be the day that's set apart. It's actually the first thing in all of scripture that's declared to be holy is this day. And then God says, I'm also going to make this day a blessing. I am going to embed this day with goodness for mankind. If mankind will honor it, it will be good. That's why Jesus said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. I'm going to embed it with goodness for you. Klaus Westermann, a German theologian, wrote this. He said, God's blessing bestows on this special, holy, solemn day a power which makes it fruitful for human existence. The blessing gives the day, which is a day of rest, the power to stimulate, animate, enrich, and give fullness to life. If we'll honor it. So I want to remind you, three blessings of the Sabbath. The first is physical. Physical restoration. I want you to turn back with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, Jesus is just sent the apostles out and they have uh, preached and prayed with people and they have laid their hands on people and they've been healed. They are physically, spiritually, emotionally, they're worn out. Verse 30. The apostles gathered with Jesus and they reported to him 
all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. This was the pattern of Jesus's life. And he would work and then he would rest. You know, we could argue that Jesus had only a short time. He had three years of ministry and he probably had a lot to get done, right? There were a lot of people he needed to preach to, a lot of people that needed prayer, a lot of people that needed to be healed. Oh, and he needed to forgive the sins of the entire world for all times. He had a lot to get done. There are a lot of things on Jesus' checklist, and yet he would stop. He would stop. He was creating a pattern for his disciples to follow. They couldn't even eat. And they had been walking, right? They weren't, even, they weren't taking cars or horses or donkeys. They didn't, they didn't have any money. They were, they were walking all over the country. They were physically worn out. Jesus said, you need to rest. You need to eat. You need to sleep. You need to be rejuvenated physically. Second blessing is emotional. And when we get so physically tired out, we also become emotionally vulnerable. I, I, I love the story of Elijah where he battles the prophets of Baal. And it's an amazing spiritual victory. I won't go into all the details, you know it, but at the end he gets spooked by Jezebel and so he runs, right? He runs. He runs at least 50 miles and he is off in the desert in the wilderness. He is physically worn out. He is emotionally worn out and God comes to him and God lets him rest. He rests physically and then God has the, the ravens bring him food and he eats so his body is restored. But Elijah is depressed. Right? My, my kids have one of those... Um, Cliff's Notes, Bibles, Annotated. When they were real little, we'd read it. They were all poet, poems and real short. So selective stories, selective parts of the story. And what's interesting, you know, the story of Elijah, it's awesome because he, you know, he beats the prophets of Baal. It doesn't say anything about slaughtering them or they were cutting their wrists or anything like that. Right? No, there's no blood in the story. It also doesn't say anything about the fact that Elijah was suicidal. He was so physically and emotionally worn out that he just wanted to die. And so God brought refreshment to Elijah through his rest. And we need that. We need that. If we go and we go and we go, we will run ourselves completely out. God always completes all of his work, doesn't he? But you know what? You never will. You need to be okay with that. More dishes will pile, pile up in the sink as soon as you clean those dishes. It's just, you know, the, you're going to mow the lawn and it'll grow. It's just, that's the way it goes. You'll pull the weeds and the weeds will come back. You will never be done with all your work. Never. God always completes his work, doesn't he? God created and then he stopped creating because he was done creating. But God wasn't done working. You know that? Because the fall happened and then God took on a new job. The job of redemption. And that's basically the storyline of the Bible. It's God working. God's working and he's working. He's working toward redemption. He's moving history. He's raising up people. He's raising up Abraham and Abraham's family. And then David, who will ultimately have a, a son who, who's a king, and that is Jesus. He sends Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus works. Jesus actually did a lot of his work on the Sabbath, didn't he? When people complained about that, he said, you need to realize... My father is working until now. At creation? No, at redemption. My father is working until now, so I am working until now, and that is why we don't rest on the Sabbath. Right now we do good on the Sabbath because we're working the plan of redemption. And so Jesus worked and he worked and he worked. And then when he finished all of his work, he hung on a cross and he said what? It is finished. The work of redemption is finished. 
And when you believe in Jesus Christ, you enter into the finished work of Christ and you don't have to strive any longer. Cease striving because God has finished the work of redemption. You don't have anything to prove to God any longer. And honestly, you don't have anything to prove to anyone else because you have the approval of God in Christ. That is refreshing emotionally to rest in Christ. As he would say, Take my yoke upon you because my burden is light. It's easy. You will find rest for your souls. I discovered last week that the Chinese word, the Mandarin word for busy is mong. And according to a couple of our local Mandarin experts, they told me that it's actually composed of two Chinese characters. The one on the left is heart and the one on the right is death or to kill. Busyness kills the heart. Busyness kills the heart. You must stop. You must stop. Third blessing is spiritual. Third blessing is spiritual. As we look at this third blessing, if I could have the men go back and get communion prepared for us. The Sabbath is the, the fourth commandment of ten. The first three commandments are about our relationship with God. The last six commandments are about our relationship with people. The fourth is the commandment that brings God and people together, so to speak. Okay? It's strategically placed, fourth commandment. The commandments are actually repeated two times, okay? first in Exodus and then in Deuteronomy. And what's interesting is the terminology, the, the wording in these two lists, it, it's different. It's the same Ten Commandments, but particularly the motivation for Sabbath is different in Exodus than it is in the book of Deuteronomy. In Exodus, we're told, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy because in six days God created and then he rested. In other words, we're pointed back to Genesis chapter 1, which reminds us we are made in the image of God, and so we were made to give to others. But we're not God. Only God is God. So be still and know that God is God. Genesis 1 reminds us that we are in the image of God, but we're not God. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy because you were slaves in Egypt, but you're not slaves any longer. So don't work like a slave because you're not a slave. That's not your destiny. That is not your nature Your work has dignity. It's not the work of a slave because God didn't create so he could get something from us. He created so that he could give and so that we could turn around and give. So remember the Sabbath to keep it holy and remember Genesis 1 and remember Genesis 3 in the midst of your work so that you don't become selfish or cynical about your work. And how do you do that? Well, periodically you just stop and you let God refresh and restore your mind and your heart. So this morning what we're going to do as we close is we are going to um, take a time of remembrance. We're going to do, we're going to celebrate communion together. Remember, communion reminds us that God finished his work of redemption. It is finished. And so what I'd like you to do is a couple things. As the men come forward and they serve us communion, I'd like you just to give thanks to Jesus that he finished his work. And then second, as, as Paul uh, exhorted us, just ask the Spirit to search your heart and see if there's any sin that needs to conve- be confessed to restore that fellowship with the Lord. So let's take a few moments silently to meditate as the men pass out communion for us.
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way Jesus took the cup, this cup is new covenant in my blood. It's a reminder that my blood was shed to remove your sins. Let's take the cup together. Father, we thank you that you always finish your work. We thank you for your work of creation that has blessed us. Thank you even more so for your work of redemption has restored us to relationship with you. We know we can have life that is forever. Teach us, Father, to follow you. Follow you as we, we work and we worship through our work and follow you as we rest and we stop and allow you to refresh and restore our spirits. I want to encourage you this week to set aside a couple hours uh, of uh, ceasing, of, of rest. Um, for some of you, this may be a new habit, so I'm not even asking you to set aside a whole day. Uh, just a couple hours, a morning, an afternoon, an evening. Uh, it doesn't even matter what day. Remember, we're, we're not under the law, which says which day it must be. Paul said, one man regards one day above another, another regards every day of light. In fact, the church moved their day of worship and rest from Saturday to Sunday, which was the day of resurrection. So the day is not critical, the amount of time, but I want you to take some time just to stop. And ask God to do a few things for you. First, ask God to remind you that you are not God. Okay? God finishes all of his work and you never will and that's okay. okay. But you are made in his image. And that means that as you work, you have an opportunity to give. Even in situations that are frustrating and don't always work right. So remind, ask God to remind you as well that, that your work matters. To... to, to uh, Embed that significance back into the daily routine, the tasks, even the things you you don't get paid for that you volunteer, you just must do, that all of those can be an act of worship to God. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you'd pour out your blessing upon your people as they stop, as they rest and reflect, as they are reminded by you that you are great. We're, We're just your creatures, your servants. But you have made us in your image, and so you've crowned us with glory and honor. You've given us dignity. I pray, Father, that as we work and we labor this week, that we would find joy in our service to you and to others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.